I welcome you all in Jesus' name. We are meeting once again for our Sunday service. And this morning, I'm going to read uh, from 1 Samuel chapter 7. I remember last Sunday, uh, I read from 1 Samuel chapter 4. But this Sunday, I'm reading from 1 Samuel chapter 7. Uh, to me, it looks logical that 1 Samuel chapter 7 seems to be uh, the one really coming after chapter 4. Now, I'll start reading. I'll read from verse 2. 1 Samuel chapter 7 from verse 2. So it was that the ark remained in Kiriath Jerim a long time. It was there 20 years. And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths from among you and prepare your hearts for the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So the children of Israel put away the bows and Ashtoreth and served the Lord only. Verse 5. And Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered together at Mizpah, drew water, and poured it out before the Lord. And they fasted that day, and said, There we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mizpah. Now when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel had gathered together at Mizpah, the laws of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. Verse 8. So the children of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a suckling lamp and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. Then Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. Verse 10. Now as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day, and so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and drove them back as far as below beth -car. Now that's the reading. As you can see, uh, it's really packed with information. So, 
So what we are going to do this morning, I am going uh, again, uh, verse by verse in this passage. I believe there are so many things uh, that in this passage that we can learn, uh, even as a congregation, we can learn it as a people, uh, that can help us also in our journey as Christians. Now, as we said before that, you know, one of the most important things is to learn how others have done it. And then we can also copy it. Now, in this situation, now what is also clear is that now we encounter a situation whereby Israel, to start with, had failed massively. They had made a terrible judgment of error and because they had made a terrible mistake, 34 men had been killed. But when we come in this chapter, we find that this is what you can also call a happy chapter or a redemption chapter because in this chapter, we realize that, you know, they went closer to their God or rather they united with their God. After uniting with their God, it was their God who fought for them. Now, this morning, it might also be possible that you are here or you are listening to this message and you are also going through uh, difficult circumstances and you are wondering how you will come through it. Tell you what, this is also a message for you. Now, let me pray before we start. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. We thank you for this day. We thank you for this message. My prayer in Jesus' name is that this message Yes, will teach us something that is important in our lives. Lord, I pray that through this message, you will be able to speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So here I go. Now, starting from verse 1. Oh, I'll, first, I'll have to, let me summarize uh, what went through in chapter 4. Now, now, in chapter 4, now what we remember is, now Israel went to war, and I said, as I said last week, is that, you know, it's like Israel sleepwalked uh, into war, and when they sleepwalked into war, they were taking God for granted that their God will be with them, but it never happened. Now, when they went first time, they, they were defeated, and 4,000 men were killed. Now, after that, instead of thinking through what they needed to do, straight away they decided they would bring the ark of the Lord uh, into the army. In other words, they wanted to put God in a box uh, in the ark, bring him to the war so that he can fight for them. But God is not like that. You can never put God in a box. So what happened is... Uh, it was even a worse defeat this time. Now, one of, one of the tactics that they did again was the shouting. They did shout, they did dance, but it never worked. They were defeated and 34,000 men were killed. So I would think that that was never uh, a good decision and it was never a decision that they could go through uh, easily. Now, what happens is uh, in our lives, even as individuals, we make mistakes. We do make mistakes every day. Uh, we do encounter failures every day. But the issue is not the mistake or the failure. The issue is how do we go over our mistakes and our errors? 
How do we move on from a massive failure and defeat to victory? Now, one other thing that I would want to remind you, uh, again, talking about the last chapter is, now, Israel was in a covenant with God. They were under the Mosaic uh, covenant. Now, now, in this covenant, what we remember is, you know, in a covenant, there are two parties. And in particular, their covenant, you know, it was also based on the fact that, you know, if you do this, God will do this. If you do this, God will do this. Now, the issue is, yet they also been doing their part of the covenant. Now, let me read from Deuteronomy 30, 15 to 18, as an example of part of the covenant. Deuteronomy 30, 15 to 18, it says, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments, his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you, which you go to possess. Verse 17. But if you turn but if your hearts turn away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and save them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. So in fact, this passage is very clear that, you know, in the covenant that they were in, there were two sides of the issue. Now, if they followed the commandments, fine, they will be blessed. But if they decided to do it their own way, then God was not going to be among them. So that's what we realized it happened in chapter 4, in that the Israelites were living their own way of living. They were actually worshipping other gods. They had gone into idolatry because of that God was not among them. So I'll go to verse 2 now. Now verse 2 says, All the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Now, in my opinion, this is actually the work of the Holy Spirit. Now it was, you know, the Bible tells us that it took 20 whole years. Now, in those 20 years, now the 20 years that are being talking up, that are being referred to here is really before the ark of the Lord could come into Israel. But then, in that time, all the Israelites were lamenting after the Lord. That means they were desiring their Lord. They were wishing, they were looking forward to those happy times again when their Lord was with them. So I would say it's a process of repentance. And here what I can point out is, you know, true repentance is initiated by the Holy Spirit. Verse 3. 
true repentance is always initiated by the Holy Spirit. I'll go to verse 3. Verse 3a. It says, Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel. Now, when I look at it, I realize that, you know, as we said before in chapter, last week, that, you know, because of God's faithfulness, he had placed among them Samuel. He had raised Samuel so that he would be a pointer. So in other ways, you can also put it that, you know, Samuel actually was doing, was helping the Holy Spirit, you know, to point Israel back to God. So in verse 3, it says, Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel. Now the question is, how did he do it? Okay, I'll, let me read the whole verse. It says, Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel. If you return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtoreth from among you and prepare your hearts for the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So what we can say here, during these 20 years that Israel was waiting, Samuel was busy on the background. He was busy with the people. He was visiting all the people because they were no longer allowed to have a one meeting. They were under a foreign domination and then they were no longer allowed to have meetings. Therefore, Samuel was moving from group to group from individuals to individual, preaching to them. And his message was, if you return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the foreign gods and the asteroids. Prepare your hearts for the Lord, save him only, and he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. You know, I like that part because, you know, it shows really confidence in his God. He says, guys, if you do it this way, I can assure you that God will be with you again. And he will save you from the hand of the Philistines. Now I can also read uh, from 2 Chronicles 7, 13 to 14. It says, if my people who are called by my name, who humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now this verse to me is almost similar to what Samuel was actually uh, preaching to the Israelites. But what I also realize is, you know, these promises, they are not only true for the Israelites, they are also true for us in our days. God will always deliver his people if they will put 100% of their trust in him. I will say it again. God will always deliver his people if they put 100% trust in him. 
You know, I, I have an example here. Uh, I had somebody uh, talking about, and, he, and what he said is, uh, somebody got lost uh, in the forest. It was a mountainous forest. And when they, he got lost, uh, he found himself, you know, falling over the cliff. Now, when he was, while he was falling over the cliff, he managed to hold on to a branch. Now, when he managed to hold on to a branch, uh, he stayed there for some time, but he was getting tired. And then he decided, well, let me pray. So in his prayer, he says, God, are you there? And would you like to help me? And God answered and says, yes, my son, I'm there and would love to help you. Then he said, okay, okay, God. So what can I do? What do I need to do so that you can help me? And the answer came, let go of the branch that you are holding on to. Now, when he let go of that branch, he discovered that the ground was only less than a meter away. Now, the point is, it took him a long decision even for him to understand, even for him to be able to trust that voice, to say, Lord is here, but he's saying, let me go, because for him, that branch was actually his savior. I'll go to verse 4. So the children of Israel put away the bows and ashtoreth and saved the Lord only. Now, it's one thing to speak the mind of the Lord to the people, but I would say it's super excellent when the people obey willingly. Finally, it appears they did not put, they did put away the false gods and saved him only. You know, at this point in time, I also want to mention that, you know, now, putting away the false gods away was actually a massive change of lifestyle. In other words, the children of Israel were now agreeing to change their lifestyle, put away what they'd been used for more than 20 years, and then worship God alone. Now, in the same sense, I remember uh, what our senior pastor uh, is always saying to us that if your faith does not change your lifestyle, then it's not faith. It is a hearsay or assumption. A real faith will always result in a change of lifestyle. Now, I'll give this example, but I always give this, an ex this example with a heavy heart. Now, when I was growing up, I remember one, other, one thing. Now, my dad and mom, he, they used to take me to church. And there was a time when I was even enjoying church. But then, it always came that when after church, what I used to see, well, made me realize that maybe these people were not serious. Because after church, straight after church, my dad would go to a beer hall. After going to the beer hall, he would come at night and then he would be quarreling, fighting, you know, beating my mom. And for those reasons, I thought he's not a Christian at all. So I thought, you know, religion was 
I thought Christianity for me was just a play thing. There was nothing serious in it. So what this shows to me is it is important even for us as Christians so that we can also reflect our lifestyles to our calling. Now the gospel of God is important. The calling of God upon our lives is so important. Now the world is looking, the world is watching us. It is important that our lifestyles reflect the gospel that we preach. Now some people would say you are the only gospel that they have. I think I must move faster because I don't think time is on my side. <laughs> now, Isaiah 1, verse 19, it says, If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat of the good of the land. What we realize in this situation, the Israelites were willing. Well, maybe because of what they had gone through, but what we realize is they were willing. I'll go on to verse 5. And Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. Now, I like it the way he put it. I will pray. Samuel was a man of prayer. Samuel believed in prayer. Samuel trusted in prayer. So if there's one thing that we learn even in this chapter is prayer is good. Prayer we need to put, we need to trust prayer. Because he says, I will pray to the Lord for you. He was confident that after prayer, things will happen. And of course, the Bible says, the effervent I can't remember this verse, but it says, well, I can put it in my own version. It's like the persistence, you know, effective prayer of a righteous man availeth much. In other words, it was not the first time for Samuel to be praying. It really shows that Samuel had a lifestyle of prayer. And he continued in prayer. And he had come to that position whereby he understood that prayer works. I'll go on to verse 7. Now when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel had gathered together at Mizpah, the laws of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. Now, if ever you make a decision to come closer to the Lord, the enemy will not like it. So, the fear of the enemy in these circumstances is real. Now, what had happened in this situation uh, in verse 7 is, now, 
the children of Israel had been encouraged to meet at this place at Mizpah. Now, what they say about Mizpah is it was actually a high place. Mizpah, is, they say it is situated on a high ground, such that when you are there, you can actually see the enemy coming up. So what we understand is the children of Israel, surely they were afraid. You know, they were afraid for good reasons. Number one, they had been beaten by this enemy twice. So they knew this is a ruthless enemy. And they were under the domination of this enemy. Now, what also comes to mind here is, at this point in time, they had not gathered at all for war. It was just a prayer meeting. It was just a prayer meeting of repentance and coming closer to their God. So if I can put it this way, it was at this time when the Israelites were at their weakest. Now they knew that at this time they were not even able to fight at all. They were not prepared for war. They had not gathered for war. But here the Philistines were coming. Somebody has said, often in our weakest moments is when God's voice will speak the loudest. I'll say it again. Often in our weakest moments is when God's voice will speak the loudest. So verse 8. So the children of Israel say to Samuel, do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. You know, the interesting part of uh, at this point is, you know, when you think about it in chapter 4, in chapter 4 when they were bringing the ark of the Lord to the wall, they were saying that it may save us from the hand of the enemy. But now, at least they are seeing, they have seen the light. Because now they are saying, so that God may save us from the hand of the Philistines. Now I'll read from Hebrews 7, 23 to 25. It says, Also there are many priests, because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, is an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Now, what we realize in this situation is uh, Samuel, the man of God, was with them. And it was Samuel interceding for them or pray praying for them so that God would save them. But we are told here in Hebrews that, you know what? In our generation, the Lord Jesus, hallelujah, from verse 24, because he continues forever, he is an unchangeable priesthood. He is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. That means 
the Lord Jesus is interceding for me every day, every time. He has an unchangeable priesthood. He continues forever. Hallelujah. I'll go on to verse 9. It says, And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. Then Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. Now, I'll come back in my conclusion to the issue about the sacrifice. Samuel understood the importance of the sacrifice. It was then after it was then after it that the Lord answered him. So I'll go to verse 10. Now as, the, now as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day and so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. You know, I like this part so much because to me, it is a shout of the Lord that destroys the enemy. You remember back then in chapter 4, in chapter 4, there was another shout. And this shout was coming from the people and it was described that when the people shouted, the whole earth shook. Almost their shout caused Almost an earthquake. But then, it never disturbed the enemy. The opposite actually took place. The enemy was actually, you know, strengthened. Or the resolve for the enemy to fight was even more after that shout. So if it was... <laughs> but now, what I realize is, it's a shout that is coming from the Lord. And the shout coming from the Lord disturbs the enemy, confuses the enemy. Now, what I want to point out at this point is, now, which shout are you depending on in your life? Are you depending upon the shout that you yourself do? Or are you depending upon the shout of the Lord? Let me remind you that the shout of the Lord is more important. It is more important for us to make sure that the shout of the Lord is among us. It is the shout of the Lord that will give us a breakthrough. Now Ephesians 6 verse 12 says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. What I'm trying to say is, the devil knows. If it is your only shout, he is not scared at all. It has to be a shout of the Lord, if you want to scare the devil away. Now, also there's a picture in Acts 19. In Acts 19, whereby there were some people who uh, wanted to 
I'll read from verse 13. It says, We exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. These were the seven sons of Sceva. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? So what I'm saying here is, it is the shout of the Lord that is important. The devil is even aware of who Jesus is. In this particular case, they were saying, Paul, I know. Jesus, I know. But who are you? So for the sake of time, I'm going to do the conclusion now. And in the conclusion, I want to refer back uh, to what I've been talking about in chapter 7. Now, in chapter 7, what comes out clearly is now, this was a dispensation of the law. And in the dispensation of the law, there were protocols that they used to follow. And in those protocols, what we see is that the prophet was always taking the lead. The prophet was waiting, was praying for the people. But in the dispensation that we are in right now, called the dispensation of grace. What we know is things are completely different. Now, what we also learn from back then is when Israel was united with their God, there was so much power that came out of it. So much power that even confused the enemy. Now, if you read that passage, you would find that the Philistines were not even a problem. They were not even a problem at all. In all the days of Samuel. So, I'm saying, uh, in the dispensation that we are in right now, we have something special. And I'm going to read from John 1, verse 29. It says, The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So we are saying here, really, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, when John was speaking at this point in time, this thing has not yet happened. But now, Jesus has been to the cross of Calvary. We know Jesus has already died for all our sins. When Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, there was enough power enough redemption power that every individual upon this face would be redeemed. But the point is, you have to choose. You have to choose to come into it. God can never force you. Nobody can force you. You have to make your own decision. Now, 
according to this verse, we realize that Jesus took the punishment we deserved in his body. He has satisfied the righteous anger of God. But nevertheless, we need to make that decision. God will not make the decision to you. Now, I want to go to John 3, verse 16. Okay, John 3, verse 16. <clears throat> the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So in one way, you can say, God has already done his part. God has already moved ahead so that each and every one of us would have the redemption. So that the power of God, just as we have seen it in 1 Samuel chapter 7, we saw a lot of power when the children of Israel were united with their God. Now, if you also want this power to be available in your life, God has already moved ahead. He has already given us of his son. He has already died on the cross of Calvary. Now, at the time that we are speaking right now, this thing had happened more than 2,000 years ago. So what does it say? It says that whoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now what God desires of us is to just believe in him. Believe in his son. I also want it on verse 17, it says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him be saved. Verse 18. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So God, in his mercy, in his favor, is also prepared that in our lives, the power of God is available unto us. Just as the children of Israelites were united with their God, there was a lot of power around them. Tell you what, when you also make a decision to have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the power of God will also be found in your life in that you would have united yourself with God. Now, as I come to the end, uh, maybe you are there and you are saying, 
I want to make this decision today. Now let me give you this opportunity. <clears throat> now, pray or follow me in prayer this way. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you have died for me. I confess my sins. I thank you that you have taken away all my sins. I make a decision this day to follow you. Change me and make me the kind of person that you desire, even in this day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. <laughs> now, if you have made this prayer and you meant it, then it means something supernatural has already happened in your heart. You are born again. Amen. Amen. Thank you.